from New York City. This is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter. And you know, in this episode, let's, as it were, take it to the streets. This is Doobie Brothers, 1976. The musicians among you, I love that flatted sixth. That's such a nice thing to use within the context of that song. This time, we're going to do what used to be called, in, say, 1976 on network television, a very special episode. I have decided that for this show, I need to go against my general idea that everything is happy down here in the valley. And that's because there's a problem. And as I record this, we don't know who's going to be the next president. That's not what this show is going to be about. It's going to be about something a little more local. It's going to be something about language. It's going to be something about Black American language. Here's the problem. A few years ago, a white poet, Anders Carson Wee, published a poem in The Nation, and the poem depicted a homeless black woman, and she was having her say. So, first lines of the poem went like this. If you got HIV, say AIDS. If you a girl, say you're pregnant. Nobody gonna lower themselves to listen for the kick. People passing fast. So you had that kind of expression. There was a kerfuffle. The idea was that Carson Wee, because he's white, was stereotyping in having this black character speaking in black English in this way. And there were various takes on it. Some people thought that only a black person should write somebody black speaking black English. Some people thought that he was making her seem ridiculous, that he was misdepicting the way this person would have spoken. So the nation apologized for publishing the poem. If it had been possible to expunge it, I'm sure they would have. They decided that they had made a mistake. The whole perspective that led to that episode has gotten into the water lately, and especially after last spring with the racial reckoning that America has been going through. I have now heard from no fewer than three non-black authors who've been told by their agents or editors that they shouldn't have black characters speaking black English, or they should pull it way, way back and only have them using it a tiny bit, out of an idea that for a non-black person to depict a black person speaking black English in their work is racist. You know, folks, I'm sorry, but I need to pitch in here. And this time, it's not going to be about irregular verbs or, you know, what things are like in Chinese. This time, I have to put on my 
outside of Lexicon Valley hat that a lot of you seem to know about. And I have to say that the idea that it's racist to show black characters using black English is not what our racial reckoning should be teaching us. And it's my job as a linguist, and especially as a black American one, to explain why. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So, first of all, if I try to put myself into the heads of the agents and editors who are very sincerely giving this counsel to writers who are trying to depict black American characters in their fullness, including linguistic fullness. What they're thinking is that if you have a black character using black English, then you're saying that that's the only way that they can talk. But the problem is that our goal should not be to depict black people as only speaking black English. The idea is that black characters will speak black English and standard English because that is the reality. So the idea is not to say, and I'm not aware of any non-black or black author who has tried to imply that that is the only way that a black person can talk. Rather, black people exemplify something that worldwide is very normal. Linguists call it deglossia. You don't have to. But what it basically comes down to is that in many parts of the world, people throughout their day oscillate not only between two languages, we know that they're bilingual people, but also two dialects of the same language, a standard one and a vernacular one. It's not that they only speak the vernacular one. It's that their, as we call it, linguistic competence is larger than that of many of us vanilla English-speaking Americans where we don't have a whole lot of variation. And quite honestly, I suspect, based on the ethnic composition of the publishing industry, that the majority of, of agents and editors are in that orbit. And so standard English speakers whose natural default sense is that the way you talk at point A is pretty much the way you talk at point B. So you see a black character being depicted saying something like, if you got HIV, say AIDS, if you were a girl. And the idea seems to be, well, it must be that that person is being depicted as only able to talk that way. But no, it doesn't need to be that. What we're going for is depicting black people as being deglossic. What do I mean? Take Asterix. Asterix is this cartoon character that is very popular in Europe, and he is this little Celtic. He's this Gaulish warrior. These these start out in French. And I have never quite understood why Asterix is supposed to be so funny. He's translated into every major language in the world, apparently. That includes English, and I guess maybe it's funnier if you understand that it's British English. I've never quite understood it. I, I have often read Asterix fascinated. I mean, I'll go through the whole book just thinking, why is this funny? But there are many people who enjoy it. And as you might imagine, I collect Asterix books in various languages. And that includes that there was a whole series 
of Asterix is done in Germany, where they had him and his pal speaking local German dialects. It was a way of showing that the Mundart, as they call them, the local dialects, the Mundarten, are legitimate speech. Very interesting books, and they're also gold mines of data for those of us who from the outside might be interested in obscure regional German dialects that we're not going to meet anybody who speaks here in the United States. So, there is um, a Bavarian edition, more than one, actually, but there is a Bavarian one, and it perfectly depicts people who are oscillating not between two languages, but between two dialects. And so Asterix and his his pal Obelix, and he's supposed to be funny because he is obese or something, I don't know, but they speak the Bavarian dialect of German with each other. But then whenever the Romans come, they switch to standard German. The idea being that if these characters were Germans, they would have a local dialect among themselves, but then they would switch to the official standard variety when they're with other people. And so at one point, um, Asterix says in Bavarian, well, if we meet Romans, now in Bavarian, that's wenn marume treffe. So wenn marume treffe, wenn ma, that's if we. Now, in standard German, it wouldn't be wenn ma, it would be wenn wir. Ma, for we, is Bavarian. Wir is the Hochdeutsch, the, the standard word. So, when we Romans meet, wenn marume treffe, treffe, that's Bavarian. Treffen is the standard. And so, wenn wir Römer treffen, standard, wenn marume treffe, that to a Bavarian feels familiar, that feels like potatoes. They switch All of this is perfectly natural. They're black characters in that way. So the idea is not to imply that they only use Bavarian, but nobody in Germany would say that it's somehow classist or something ist to depict them speaking Bavarian when they're among one another. So it's all very the wire. It's the same thing. And in the same way, going back to the Carson Wee poem, He actually shows that the woman he's depicting would be deglossic. She does start out with, for example, if you a girl or nobody going to lower themselves to listen for the kick, people passing fast. But then later in the poem, he has her saying, if you're young, say younger. So not if you young, if you're young, say younger. That's exactly the way that person in real life would probably use the dialect. You oscillate between the two. So even Carson Wee understood that it's not as if she only speaks this vernacular dialect. She has lived surrounded by the standard dialect, and so, of course, she uses it. Just to give another example of how normal this is, this diglossic aspect of things, it's not just black people in Bavaria. You can find this all over the world. One of my favorite examples is actually with Canadian French, vernacular Canadian French. The French of, for example, people who live in Quebec is so different from Parisian French in particular that it courts being what you might think of as a different language. And a great way to get a certain sense of it is to listen to the Flintstones dubbed into that dialect. It's probably the best Flintstones dub in the whole world. If you grew up as a French Canadian, I'm sure that kids assume that those people were actually French Canadians until they got older and were told that it's an American show and that they originally spoke English. Beautiful, beautiful dubbing. Here is an example of Fred reciting in shame a kind of compliment to Wilmar. Delima, as she is in the Canadian French. And so what he's saying is, 
and you cook so well. And listen to him saying the following. So, pitou fait tellement bien la cuisine. Okay, so, pit, that p is puis, which means then in standard. It means and in Canadian French. P is so common that it's really become kind of a different word. And so it's not, et tu fais tellement bien. If you've had your schoolboy or schoolgirl French. In Canada, you get used to hearing P. And then tu fais tellement, that is a French-Canadian pronunciation, not tellement. Tellement, that means so. And then cooking. You cook so well. Your cuisine is so good. La cuisine, la cuisine, not cuisine, cuisine. So it's just perfect Canadian French. Now, people who speak this variety can speak both this sort of French and then standard Canadian French, which is different from Parisian. But you can watch the news in French in Canada, and there is a kind of French spoken that's different from Parisian, but it's quite different from a lot of what you can hear on, they're called les pierres à feu, the, the French-Canadian Flintstones. It's a deglossic situation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, the idea is to depict black people oscillating between two poles, and that is, frankly, what most people who depict black characters speaking black English actually do. So, the idea is not that that is the only way that the black person can talk. The idea is that they have a bi-dialectal competence, right? Maybe not. Maybe it seems like the Flintstones and Asterix, etc., aren't quite the right comparanda because Canadian French has its history, it's a written variety, Bavarian has its history, etc. But maybe the idea is, and I can understand if a person thinks this because this is what you're told and this is what it feels like for various reasons. Maybe the idea is, no, we're not going to think of this as something called diglossia because black English is just mistakes. It's not legitimate speech. It's just mistakes. And, you know, you can think that without it being a matter of racism. You might be somebody who fully understands what black America has gone through. You might be somebody who even understands that black English is warm, that black English has its place, as you might think. But you might have an idea that black English is still basically mistakes. It's breaking rules and that the reason so many black people do it is because of lack of education, etc. You might be very sympathetic. And yet you might think if somebody depicts a black person using black English, they are depicting a black person making grammatical errors. And that therefore, Lord forbid a non-black person do that. We can talk about black people depicting black characters doing it, but not not non-black characters. No, no, that's, that's not it. Black English is not mistakes. Actually, it's often more complicated than standard English. It really is. Doesn't sound like it, but it is. You can listen to black people using what you probably hear as unconjugated B, what people be talking about. 
that sort of thing. You think, well, they didn't conjugate. But what it's very easy to miss is that that B is a piece of grammar that indicates a nuance that standard English doesn't indicate as clearly. What I mean by that is listen to, for example, this is Jay-Z. He uses that sentence. Listen to how this B goes. So notice, there is what people be talking about all the time. He didn't use the B until there. And that's because at first, he's talking about what are you talking about right now? But then when he talks about talking all the time, he says what people be talking about all the time. Be is a marker of the habitual. Black English uses that unconjugated be to indicate that something goes on on a regular basis as opposed to that it's going on right now. And so she be walking by my window. That does not mean that you're looking out the window watching her doing it. It means that every Tuesday she walks by your window. Now, of course, nobody thinks about this consciously, just like none of us think about our running language consciously. But black English in that way has grammar. And in that, it's more explicit than standard English. So unconjugated B, you think, well, that's just a mistake. But no, unconjugated B is actually a frill. It's actually a bow tie. Now, you might think, well, all right, what else? Okay, but the thing is, there is more. So, for example, done. You done ate it. And you think, well, why didn't they just say ate it? What's this done? The done is actually very sophisticated. And it's taken grammarians of black English a long time to figure it out. And it's not just the past. It's not I am eating, I done ate. That is not how it works. It's much more specific than that. So, for example, let's say that I have some watermelon Jolly Rancher soda. It does exist. And it is utterly delicious and poison. So I allow it of myself maybe once a year. But watermelon, Jolly Rancher soda. Let's say that I buy a case of it because I've decided that I'd like to die. I put a case of it in the garage. I don't have a garage, but I like to pretend that I do. So I put it in the garage and I'm saving it. And you know, one summer day, I decide that I'm going to go in the garage and get me some watermelon Jolly Rancher soda. Yes, water. I'm from Philadelphia. And well, there's no soda. Or maybe there's just one. Let's say that I'm a character from one of the Friday's movies or something like that. I ask somebody, where's my Jolly Rancher watermelon soda? And the person says that they drank it all up. I would say, you done drunk it? That done is not just you drank it in the past. What I would mean by that is I'm surprised that you drank it. It's a marker of the counter expectational. That's what done is. It's not just the past. So, for example, I would say, I done had a crush on you since you were 12. That means that, you know, you didn't know it, but I've had a crush on you since you were 12. But I wouldn't say, well, you know what? Yesterday I done ate a cucumber, unless it was the very first time I had eaten one for some reason, but not, what'd you eat yesterday? Well, yesterday I done had bacon. No, only if it was quite unexpected. I looked up done drunk on Google and just, you know, wanted to see what the first entries were. And the first ones that make any sense out of context are this. Best sour I've ever had. I meant to post a full glass, but I done drunk it up. In other words, he wanted to put the full glass there, but actually it turns out like, whoopsie, counter-expectational, I done drunk it up. Or next one was, 
Ain't a drop of booze because we done drunk it all. What that means is, you know what? We drank all of the liquor. That's counter-expectational. That's something that's, you know, a little naughty, like <laughs> we done drunk it all. Or definitely, absolutely the stupidest thing I've ever done drunk. It's a freaking miracle. No one was killed. So whatever that person drank, the idea is that they probably shouldn't have. It's like slurried frog legs or benzoate or something. So they drank something that they shouldn't have drunk. That's how done is used. That is a nuance that standard English doesn't have overtly. You can imply it in various ways. You can do it with intonation. You can leave it to context. But Black English has that done. It's fascinating. And that means that, once again, Black English is not just a bunch of mistakes. You can call done a mistake, but it certainly is a rather sophisticated mistake. What it really is, is a refinement over standard English. Give you another one. Let's go afield first. In Korean, there is an interesting rule of how sounds work. You might know somebody from Korea whose last name is Lee. They know something that you don't. They know that in Korean, that name is E. You don't say Lee, you say E. Because in Korean, there is this rule that when L comes before E, that sound E, when L comes before E, you drop it. It gets dropped off. So you don't say Lee. You write Lee, but the way you pronounce that is E. That happened over time. That's something that happens in languages. That You have these picky little things where a sound appears or a sound disappears in a certain very particular context. So in English, I am holding a leaf or I am holding two Leafs? No, leaves. When you have that f before a plural marker, then you make it into a v. And so leaves, that's what you say. I am a horse with four hoofs. No, I'm a horse with four hooves. That's a little rule. One doesn't think about it, but it's there. You know, black English has different ones. It has ones in addition to what we're used to. So talk about v. V in Black English, gets dropped when a D is coming up. Now, one thing that you might be familiar with is the expression $5 instead of $5. But you might think, okay, that's an idiom. Black people say $5, and you're thinking, well, they tend to drop sounds. And you just kind of leave it there because, you know, you have a mortgage to pay. But $5, $5. No, that's a rule. That's a subconsciously internalized rule in the dialect. It's not just with five dollars. It's in general. Let us listen to Little Wayne. <laughs> Let's listen to Lil Wayne and Birdman. And this is one of their one of their songs. Listen to how one says believe that. Well that comes out in black English as dat and so you've got a D coming up. Listen to believe that and a lot of you will realize that that's the way it's pronounced in fluent black English. This isn't just a cute little trick in this rap. This is this is normal speech. Believe that. Uh-huh. Believe that. Tell him girl. Believe that. What's your name? Believe that. Are you from? Believe that. Now, you might think, okay, well you say $5 and believe that. Especially if you've heard that song a million times. But no, there's more. It's not just believe that, because notice a little later in this same song how you say love that in black English, because it's dad. Like Look, 
fresh with the heavy metal You know I need that Gucci stay fly on the stage, believe that We one of a kind, we do it till you see me black Ice with the chrome and the silver, how you love that Too fresh, too cool, too shiny, too fool, too sunny Spend money, that's just what we do Believe I'm a Love that That is normal This is based on not just some idiom or a couple of idioms. It's actually the way sounds work in Black English and don't in Standard English. Nor is it that there's something, I've got to push this a little further, it's not that there's just something cute about the word that and, and then maybe also dollars. Listen to what happens with this, which is dis. And it's not just rap. So it's not just Something that started happening in the 80s or the 90s or, you know, some thing that's very local rather than what you would call black English. This is black speech since time immemorial. And of course, I have to play something from the Jeffersons. And so, for example, listen to George Jefferson in this episode and how he says, you are not going to believe this, Louise. Listen to what he says. Oh, and I was going down, down, down. And at the bottom, you ain't going to believe this, Louise. <laughs> At the bottom was all of these cockroaches yelling and waving. Welcome back, George. See, believe this. So Sherman Hemsley, that certainly wasn't in the script. Sherman Hemsley was subconsciously observing the rule in black English that V goes when you've got a D coming up. So in Korean, when you've got an E coming up, you drop the L. In black English, when you've got a D coming up, you drop the V. This is sophisticated speech. And you have to know the nuance of it. It's not whenever anything with D comes up. It's when something with D is coming up that's common. You talk about dollars a lot. You talk about that and this a lot. So George wouldn't say something like, I have to try to imitate him and I don't think I can. Wheezy, don't leave daffodils on the windowsill. Because you don't talk about daffodils much. You don't leave daffodils on the windowsill. He'd say, don't leave daffodils on the windowsill. You know, you'd be a Martian. But he would say, don't leave them daffodils on the windowsill. Don't leave them daffodils because you talk about them daffodils, as in those daffodils. You say that a lot. Black English is complicated. All right, it's time for a musical clip, I think. And it's going to be non-integrated. That's a cute word to use for this episode, but it's not going to fit really into anything or I'm going to try to make it make some kind of sense. This is a song from a musical that has music by George Gershwin, and it's called Tell Me More, and we are in 1925, so this is 95 years ago. And this song is, in a way, a kind of musical Black English because it's one part Europe, this is something that starts with the march tradition that had evolved into ragtime and then stride piano. Then it's one part Africa because of the blue notes and the syncopated rhythm. Gershwin sat at the feet of black stride piano players to learn a lot of his tricks. And the result was songs like this one where you can just hear it in every note. The words to kicking the clouds away are, you know, antique and distracting. It's the music. And we can hear Gershwin as if he was in the room playing it because he recorded it for a very special kind of piano role that actually maintained the nuances of a person playing. So let's listen to George Gershwin. He could be at a party in 1925 playing his song. And this sounds like it's live because of how good this kind of piano role was. This is Kicking the Clouds Away, which I think is just massively catchy. So let's hear some musical black English for a second. 
Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So I'm saying black English is not mistakes. But frankly, if it isn't, how come it's always leaving stuff off? You're talking about all these things and how sophisticated they are, but it's always leaving something off that standard English does. And one response to that is that the done bit isn't. The done is not leaving something off. It's putting something in. But still, isn't black English mostly a matter of leaving things off rather than adding things? And you know what? The answer is yes. A lot of people would try to talk you around that. But no, the answer is yes. Most of what distinguishes black English from standard English is leaving things off, often in ways that are rule-bound and sophisticated, such as that business of the V and the D. But still, you can't help thinking, why is it always subtractive? if this is legitimate speech. There are two reasons why Black English is mostly not doing things that you do in Standard English. One of them is because Black English was created by grown-ups. Black English's ultimate history is that you have slaves who are adults, and adults don't learn languages as well as children, and they're exposed suddenly to English, and they do their best, and they did pretty darn well. But if you learn English under those conditions, then often you're going to leave out the things that are the most complicated, that are the most particular, especially the things that are needlessly complicated. And so, yeah, why you ain't call me instead of why didn't you call me? Well, the thing is, why does English have to do that? Anyway, why do you have to take the subject pronoun and put it after the auxiliary? Why can't you say why you didn't call me? You, you know what it means. Instead, it's why didn't you call me? That's something odd about Germanic languages in particular. Well, if you're learning the language on the fly and you're just trying to talk, you might leave that out. And frankly, it doesn't hurt anything. It has nothing to do with clarity, has nothing to do with expression. So there are all sorts of things like that. But the result is still nuanced speech, which is still complex. You could write a grammatical description of it that was 300 pages long. And does that sound like special pleading? Of course it does. But here's why it isn't. Modern standard English is a vast subtraction of the machinery, most of it unnecessary, that old English had. So for example, here is one of my favorite old English passages, and you have to go into the old English voice. It's about body parts. And so it's God granted us two eyes and two ears. God, Gascalpus. God granted us, God created for us. God, Gascalpus. Two eyes and two ears. Twa egan and twa eran. So, eyes and ears, egan and eran. On is the plural marker for those. But then, two nostrils. Twa Nostrilan. No, no, not not nostrilan. It's twa nostrilu. So nostrils is nostrilu. Then two lips, twan, because the gender changes. Of course, you have to have this you know stupid gender. So twan weatheras. That means two lips. Notice all of a sudden it's familiar. It's s. They they did have plural s, but it's egon and eron, and so ion and iron, and then nostrilu. 
and then lips. So, and then two hands and two feet. Not hands, but handa. And then two feet. Just like us, we have feet, but it's not foots and it's not feet. And so you've got ergan, eran, nosdilu, weleras, handa, and fate. All those different ways of making the plural in Old English. And there were more. That was the way it went. We, of course, just make everything with S except for a little handful of words. Understand that in Old English, this was all nouns. You kind of just had to know to an extent. So we don't have that. Do you miss it? I don't. I don't want to talk about nostrilu. I don't want to talk about nostrils at all. But if I'm going to make nostril plural, it's going to be with a goddamn S. That's just the way modern English is. But compared to old English, modern English is clumsy and stupid and telegraphic. And yet the world keeps spinning. And we think that our language is the best thing since watermelon, jolly rancher soda. Well, black English takes it a little bit light compared to standard English. But if modern English is legitimate language, as I think we all assume that it is, black English is, too, for the exact same reason. Modern English is not alone in this. Swedish is like that. Mandarin is like that among the Chineses. It's easier than it should be, as difficult as it is. Persian, noble language, is like that compared to old Persian. Indonesian is like that. There are languages that are streamlined in that way that would sound like barbarism to people speaking the same language 2,000 years ago. So, Black English, yeah, subtractive in that way, but really just to a little bit of a degree. It's as if I've used this in a book that I wrote, but I'm going to bring it out here because I think it's a handy analogy. Modern English got rid of of enough Old English material that if it was a liquid, it would be a bucket. Black English gets rid of about as much standard English material as would fit into not even a martini glass, but one of those small martini glasses where you don't get enough, like that often if you ask for for Baileys, you get one of those little teeny ones, where like if you spilled it on your leg, you would barely even bother to wipe it off. That is how much Black English has subtracted from standard English. In any case, it's time for this little interlude, and it's important, and I am talking about Slate Plus. The idea is that you could have more. After this episode, you could listen to me talking about some other stuff. You could, if you had Slate Plus for a nominal fee. Also, if you paid that nominal fee, not only would you get a little more show, if you so desired it, but you wouldn't have to listen to any ads. You would just listen to the show going by. It would be like how cable TV felt back in the 80s when you didn't have any commercials. And this would be not only for my show, but for all of Slate's podcasts. So for a nominal fee, no commercials, you get the little tags at the end of your shows. And to be honest, during these times especially, we need your money. We need you to give us extra money because COVID has been really tough on the media. But really, you get more stuff. So if you want a little walk like this time through my early childhood with linguistic and musical insights, you have to get Slate Plus. That actually might not be the best advertisement for it, but you take my point. Okay, let's push it even further. I've got these white cartoon characters, etc., but it's still different because even if now you know, agent or editor, that black English is not mistakes, 
Well, most people don't know. They'll think it's mistakes. And so don't we have to think about that when we have white authors putting black English into the mouths of their black characters? People are going to think it's mistakes. And that's not the message that we want to give to the public. And here's where things get a little dicey. Is the fact that there will be readers out there who assume that black English is mistakes important enough to elide linguistic reality, including for readers in what might be a more tolerant and educated future about the nature of non-standard speech. And I dare say that things have gotten better on that over about the past 10 years. But still, the question is, is the fact that people out there will see black characters speaking black English and think of it as errors, wherever they're going to put it, they are going to think of it that way. Is that important enough to depict black people inaccurately on a regular basis. So, for example, I can't help, I'm on this colloquial French kick today, but I can't help thinking, for example, of Michel Tremblay. He is a novelist and playwright who has written wonderful fiction and drama about working-class Montrealers who are speaking full-blown vernacular Canadian French. And you can go through the books and you almost have to learn a different language, but these characters jump off the page as if it was bellow. And part of the reason they do is because they talk the way those human beings actually talk. Now, there are people who have thought of this dialect, joual, as vulgar, as something that is not right. More in the past than today, but you know, there still persists certain attitudes sometimes among the speakers themselves, just as with Black English. And the question is, should Michel Tremblay have written all of these wonderful books with the characters speaking standard Canadian or even Parisian French? I don't think anybody would think so. And so in one of the books, somebody says, I heard crying last night. Do you have a bad dream? Now, the way that goes is, entendu pleurer. I heard crying. So, not cette nuit, that's standard French, but cette nuit, cette nuit, that's the way that person would say night. Now, should that person be depicted saying nuit out of a textbook or like a newscaster? Or nuit, which is what that person would say. I don't think there's any question. A tout fait un mauvais rêve. French Canadians, I know, I know, I'm trying. It's been about 25 years since I've had it in my ears, but I kind of remember. So, a tout fait un mauvais rêve. Did you have a bad dream? We who had some French in school, we know that it's a tu fait in the French that we were taught from those musty textbooks. But in joual, it's fait. You know, it has nothing to do with masculine or feminine. The form here is fait. So a tu fait, un mauvais rêve, that is what that person would say. Should that not be in there? I don't think anybody would think that Tremblay shouldn't have written his characters using the actual speech that they use. If anything, his work has helped to legitimize that way of speaking among the larger populace. Black English is analogous or something else. Huckleberry Finn. Huck Finn is tough to read because of that thick dialect and you know, you're not used to reading people talking that way. I must admit I have never enjoyed reading Tom Sawyer or Huck Finn because it's so hard on the eyes. But still, should Mark Twain have written those characters using the language of Henry James? Was it wrong? And that includes with Jim. Should Jim not have spoken that way? I'm not talking about the N-word. I'm talking about the dialect in general. Was it stereotyping? Because a Jim would have been able to speak two ways. But what we see him speaking when he's comfortable is this black 
English dialect, except it's an earlier version of it. Was that wrong? I don't think most of us would think so. Or for example, the characters in The Wire, David Simon's masterpiece, The Wire. Well, a lot of the writers of The Wire were not black. And yet, should the characters on The Wire have been talking like the ones on Friends? The idea being that it's wrong to depict them speaking black English. Can you imagine like, why my comrades? Here comes Omar. That wouldn't have been as good as the way they had it. And okay, maybe somehow film and television are different, but is writing different in this way? I think of Richard Price, you know, who has a hand in things like The Wire. Richard Price is white, and he does an amazing job of writing black inner city characters and all of their humanity. And that includes writing them speaking the dialect that they speak that he has in his ear. So you can read a book like Clockers or or Homicide, which doesn't seem to get the attention that I think it should, but you have characters using black speech. Was he wrong? Are we now going to say that that is something that we need to get past? I don't think so. And then also I have to say, won't the next thing be, because there are other ways of looking at this, won't the next thing be that having black characters only speaking standard English denies black culture? There will be people who say that you shouldn't have the black characters talking that way because it constitutes a kind of stereotyping. But a different kind of person, fiddle with the dials and switches, might see these black characters not using the dialect that their real-life equivalents would certainly dip in and out of. And they might see that as racist because it's denying something that's integral to them. And you can imagine the words that would be used, you're whitewashing them. Now, there's one more thing. There is an idea out there that it's not that black characters should never be depicted speaking black English, but that really, to keep things clean, only black writers should write black English. Here's the problem with that. White people get black English right all the time. You know, since this is the theme of my life lately, let's try the Jeffersons. I'm halfway through the whole series, folks. This is um, an episode called Three Faces of Florence. Now, Florence is the maid. She often uses black English in her speech. So let's just listen to this very ordinary scene where Florence says some stuff. Boss, where's the egg poacher? We ain't got one. Well, how am I supposed to heat my eggs up? Try putting them in front of your mouth. Uh, Maybe you better go help him. On second thought, I'll help him. You get the door. Good. I sure got the best of that deal. (laughs) So ain't got and show got instead of sure had or something like that. Then here in this scene... You get all the treatment you need. Treatment? I don't need no treatment. Look, anybody that goes around saying that she's a countess needs a lot of treatment. Wait a minute. You mean just because I told you I was a countess, you think I'm crazy? No, 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 no. not crazy, Florence. Just a little disoriented. Huh? Well, you're not a countess. I know, and I ain't crazy either. (laughs) Don't worry, Florence. I'll see that everyone at the hospital takes very good care of you. Wait a minute. I don't need to go to no hospital. You don't understand. Now, listen. Trust the doctor. Don't need no treatment. Don't want to go to no hospital. That's good old black English. Now, the writers of this episode were white. 
And yet, can we really say that Florence was speaking in a stereotypical way? No, actually, Florence is diglossic between standard and black English, and these were perfectly normal lines. Now, I have not gone to the trouble of digging up the scripts of Jefferson's episodes and trying to see how much of the black English was actually written down. Just maybe the actress, Marla Gibbs, improvised black Englishness into lines that the white writers wrote as standard. But then the question is, was she inaccurate? Did Marla Gibbs do something wrong? No, she was you know, giving a very genuine depiction of how that maid at that time would have spoken. Now we think, well, it's okay for Marla Gibbs to improvise because she's black. But what's the difference between how we just heard Florence talking and this? I won't pick out a man and he won't pick out me. It don't go that way. You can't ever know Where your crazy heart Wants to go It don't go that way. Now, that is, of course, an exquisite melody, and isn't it nice to actually be able to understand the words that is That's Love, as it's called, from Carmen Jones, sung by Dorothy Dandridge, dubbed by Marilyn Horn, who was white, for the record. And Carmen Jones is Carmen set in Black English. And the thing is, Carmen Jones was written by a very, very white man, Oscar Hammerstein. Here's a little more Carmen Jones. This is um, There's a Cafe on the Corner. Doesn't the fellas telephone me, all asking me to make a date? Holding out for something special But I don't know how long I'll wait So not asking, but accent. That is accurate, black English. There are white people who say accent too, but you know, black people use it as part of black English. So, there's no difference between the way Florence the Maid would be speaking in the 70s and 80s and the way Carmen Jones was depicted speaking in 1943, when Carmen Jones first hit the stage. The movie is from the 50s. And the truth is, Carmen Jones is written in black English, and there isn't a slip in it. And as you might imagine, I have checked. It is very genuine black English. It's not stereotyped black English. The characters toggle between standard and black English, but that is the way black people then as well as black people before that, and black people since then, have actually spoken. Some people at the time said that they found the dialect kind of stereotyped. But, you know, with all due respect to them, I'm not sure that I see it as a linguist who has specialized to an extent in the dialect. And, finally, black people can get the dialect wrong, too. And here I'm going to be very careful because I don't want to out anyone. But... There is a book written by a very intelligent black person, very interested in issues of black culture. And I'm not going to specify what the piece of writing is or who the author is, but very often throughout the work in question, they sprinkle the phrase, I be ghetto, 
and they're trying to make a little joke, and they're trying to signify a certain identification with the black community. But the truth is, grammatically, that use of be isn't the one that I talked about earlier in the podcast about habituality. It's actually, if you want to nitpick, and only if you want to nitpick, and there's no reason to except in this very particular context, it's not actual black English. If it were a white person, writing it, a person could justifiably say, well, that person doesn't know because they're too far from it. But the thing is, language is something that all of us can distort, even when it's our own language, because so very much of communication is subconscious. So there is a very well-intentioned black writer who, as it happens, gets it wrong. Or on this show, I've talked about the old-fashioned use of am with pronouns other than I, invariant am. You am the only one. We am the ones who. He am, she am. Sounds so strange to us now. I personally think from my research that that is something that actual black people used in casual black English about a hundred years ago, but it became extinct by the middle of the 20th century. But this is the thing. There will be people who are specialists who disagree with me, And if they're correct, of course I'm correct, but if they're correct, then it means that legions and legions of sincere black writers were wrong in putting this invariant am in the mouths of black characters, even in very sober situations, not just in minstrelly musical context. So, for example, even down into the 70s in Roots, Alex Haley has his characters experiencing emancipation, and he has one of them yelling, freedom am one. I truly believe that people actually did say that, but traditionally people have thought that that was just a minstrelism. And if so, that means that Alex Haley, who certainly had black people's well-being in mind, this is the person who got down the autobiography of Malcolm X, etc., he was misdepicting black speech. So that's to say white people can get it right. Black people can even get it wrong. The question really might be making sure whatever color people are, that they get it right. So I have to get on a bit of a soapbox here. And I promise that the next episode of Lexicon Valley will be back to the shits and giggles. But publishing agents and editors, please stop telling non-black authors to tone down or to eliminate black English in the voices of their black characters. Obviously, non-black authors, as well as black authors, should be sensitive about it. They should check for the accuracy and the nuance and their ways to do that. But for them to have all black characters just talking like white ones is inaccurate and it's not necessary. There's no need to see black English as implying that black people live immersed in standard English, but somehow mysteriously fail to learn it. Black people have toggled between standard and black English for centuries. As long as, for example, a white author is showing that diglossia, then really they're more than halfway there. Countless white writers have gotten black English right in the past, right up to now. And to the extent that some readers will think black characters are speaking mistakes, well, you know, life isn't perfect. And to knuckle under to that mistaken way of thinking and to therefore withdraw the dialect and have only black authors write characters using the dialect, that's going to have two results. One of them is just cultural inaccuracy. But then another one, white writers may start to just avoid having black characters at all, 
rather than writing them in what they know is a linguistically inaccurate way. Upon which, let's face it, some will interpret that as racism of a brand new kind. Agents, editors, do you want to see somebody distributing a graph in around 2030 where they show that white writers started creating fewer black characters by the year after 2020? Obviously, that's not what you're going for. Now, there are black people in the industry who will feel differently. I know you have to hear them out. But in making your decision and figuring out where you fall on this, I beseech you to also consider what I've tried to get across here. And to put it in the most economical way that I can, depicting a black character as speaking black English is not racism. us at Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. That's Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. To listen to past shows and subscribe or just to reach out, go to Slate.com slash Lexicon Valley. You know, you may have noticed that in the last episode for certain parts I talked too slowly. You know what that was? Now we record at home and because of technology, you do the recording in parts. And I got home really tired one night and I thought, you know, I have to lay the show down tomorrow, but I don't want to have to have the whole show sitting there to do. So I'm going to record a little of it now. But I was tired. And so I ended up talking slowly. Then the next morning I got up all peppy and full of coffee and did my normal kind of delivery. And so the result is that for some reason, all of a sudden in that show, there's a part where I sound like that. That will never happen again. In any case, Mike Volo is, as always, the editor. And I'm John McWhorter. Hey, hey, hey.